The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know we've said it. We just gave flowers to all the women here at Grace. But, um, you know, Mother's Day is fun. You know, I, I love mothers, obviously. I love my mom. You know, she, was, she, did a, she survived raising me. Um, I, I love Jamie's mom. Did an awesome job with her. Uh, of course, she's an amazing mom. I love her. Uh, but when you think about what it means to be a mom, it's so much more broad um, than just that. Like, at this church, for example, we baptize our children. And every one of our children who are baptized, um, you know, we, we take these covenant vows and promises to them, and they become our children. Um, they, they get a whole bunch of mothers. Kids, that may not be exciting to you, but it's actually really amazing. You know, you have all these people who care about you and love you and pray for you and think about you. And I know it's true because uh, many of you uh, women in this church who pray for me as a pastor when I preach and as I lead, I'm so grateful for that. You know, it's a good gift that God gives to us. Isaiah 66 verse 13 says this, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. There's something about understanding God's affections for us that we learn from the women in our lives about how they comfort and care for us. Um, and as I was thinking about this verse that, uh, this week, and then I thought about it being Mother's Day, it was hard for me not to actually hear what Paul says in verse 27 with almost my mom's voice in the background. Like, listen to this. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like, I've heard her say many times, Bradley, behave, right? You know, Bradley, be that's not how we act in this house or whatever. Like, there's something about this, I, this family identity we have in being disciples, of being in the family of God, um, where Paul is saying, hey, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There's something about us being Christians where we're actually saying we're seeking to follow after Christ. It's not just kind of a thing that we do on Sunday morning, although it is very special and precious that we worship together. We're rehearsing God's promises together. His Holy Spirit uses His Word to sanctify us and shape us, yes, but He's actually calling us to conduct our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. What exactly does that mean? You know, the scriptures enable us to ask that question, and Paul gives us some direction on how to think about being a disciple. You know, the name of the series, The Mind of a Disciple. Um, today, we're talking a little bit about this reality of, of the power of, of a disciple. Like, like, who are we really? And so, just two points. And the first is the disciples call. God gives us grace and power in this calling he gives to us. And then the disciples secret. 
And yes, you're going to have to wait about eight or nine more minutes before you hear what the secret is, okay? But uh, the disciples' call and the disciples' secret, it's the two ideas I want us to reflect on this morning. Part of what Paul's doing here, um, he's calling us into conducting our life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Like if you had to answer that question, why is it that Paul is saying, hey, conduct your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel? What is that about? Well, remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what that means? What, what the Lord is telling us, what the Scriptures are telling us, that is actually as we seek to follow Christ, we are availing ourselves to this grace and this peace. God's grace for us, His, His affections for us, given to us not because of what we've earned or what we deserve, but because He's gracious and kind and slow to anger and abounding in love, like to be part of God's people is to be a person who's a recipient of this grace. And this peace, the experience of having actual peace with God. The Scriptures tell us that as we are united to Christ, as we trust in Him, as we believe in what He did for us on the cross, you can have the certainty that this is what God's Word says to you. You are forgiven, you are renewed, you are restored, you are at peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we live into this reality as, as we're following God, as we're following Christ, this disciples call, really what we're saying is, is that there is a way of life that leads to thriving. There's a way of life that leads to thriving. You know, Paul says later um, that we're actually, we're, it's granted to us on behalf of Christ to believe in Him. God gives us the ability to freely believe in Christ. He's gracious to us. Now, are you free? Now, I'm free to go order the hottest hot wings, ghost pepper covered hot wings, whatever it is, the hottest wings you can imagine. I'm free to order those. I can go order those babies. And then I will pay the price in so many ways for those hot peppers. Like being absolutely free to do whatever you want, whenever you want is actually insane. We're not made for that. We're actually made for something. And this call that God gives us, this disciple's call, he's, he's saying this is the way to, to thriving. These are the kind of wings you can order where you can actually enjoy them. Like there's a way of thriving here that God's inviting us into as his people. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now we kind of hear that and we think, okay, that's kind of like your mom saying, behave yourself, like act like you're in this family. But the Philippians, um, if, you under, if you understand a little bit about Philippi, they were actually a Roman colony, okay? And they had all these rights and privileges of being Rome themselves. It was like a mini homeland. And so a more direct translation of what Paul's saying here, and you'll sort of catch it, he says this, exercise your citizenship worthily of the gospel of Christ. Exercise your citizenship worthily of the gospel of Christ. Now, as Texans living in Montgomery County in the United States. Well, we know what pride is. Like, I'm a Texan, right? You know, we, we have our own opinions about a lot of things. Like, we have a lot of pride in being, being a Texan or whatever it is. Paul is saying, that's great. In fact, he uses their excitement about being Philippians because their names would have been written in the books in Rome. They would have had, a, they would have had it would have been like, if you attack Philippi, you're attacking Rome. So Paul's actually okay with them being excited about their homeland. But he's saying, hear me. Exercise your citizenship in a greater place as your primary identity. You are first and foremost God's people, His 
children. You have the freedom to live into this. You've been invited to take great hope in something that is going to change the world. And then he goes on to explain. And these are kind of three ideas to think about when we think about the disciples' call. The first is the idea of reputation. Paul says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And so Paul first talks about this idea of their, their, what they're being known for. Whether I come and see you or not, I'll hear about this thing that you're centered on, that you're living a, a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, and it will be beautiful. Let me give an example. Um, some of you know that we have friends who are in the Ukraine, Doug and Masha. They were, you know, Doug was here, preached in uh, the fall. Um, every Sunday, actually, if you want, at 2 o'clock, you can be on a Zoom meeting where they give an update on things that they're, they're doing. Let me tell you one of the things they're doing. I was talking to a friend this week about this, and we're probably going to provide, a, we're probably going to gather supplies here at Grace to be taken over there, to be part of what I'm about to tell you. If you are leaving Ukraine and you go through where Doug is, and you're connected to them somehow. They're connected with their churches, and then people hear about it. If you go and see Doug, one of the things he'll do is he'll care for you. They'll care for you. They'll try to help you get, like, the right direction of where you need to be going and some details. But then they say, go ahead and go to the pantry and take what you need. And in the pantry, there are medical supplies. There's food that they can take. There's water. There's all these things. And what is happening is, is people are doing that, and their first question to Doug is, why are you doing this? Like this, why, why, why are y'all doing this? And the answer, of course, is because God loves us. Because we're a people who are living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. God has shown us his grace. He's shown us his kindness. And, and we're seeking to do that to others. God invites us to actually base the primary reality of who we are, our reputation in this grace and peace that is ours from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to care about the reputation of Christ being our reputation, beautiful things begin to happen. Thriving begins to happen. Grace and peace begin to enter in, not just into our lives, but in those that are around us. Paul says, I will know, you'll, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You know, we stand firm in the reality of God's promise for us, secured by Christ's death and His resurrection. It is immovable. He has done it for us. We can claim it when, we, when we're in great suffering. We can claim it in moments of excitement. And when we struggle to claim it, we continue to claim God's promise above what our heart says. God is faithful. Standing firm in that one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And we've talked about this at our church, but there's a beautiful thing that God gives to us when we become part of His people. He not only gives us peace with Himself, He not only expresses grace to us, but He puts us in a family where you know what the most important thing is for you here at Grace Presbyterian Church? That you personally encounter the love of Jesus offered in the gospel. It is not your political affiliation. It is not, if you think Texas is the best state or not, you're allowed to be wrong. You know, like we are centered first and foremost on this reality, standing firm in the one spirit, striving together as for one faith, as one in the faith and the gospel. We are God's people. And Paul is telling us that this is critical for our understanding of this calling we have as a disciple. That's who we are first and foremost. It's why we're immovable, because Christ is risen and we can trust in him. 
Okay, secondly, Paul uh, gives some insight into this bold sort of gentleness, this courage that, is pe- that God's people are able to draw from when they understand that their identity, first and foremost, is in who Jesus is. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. You know, peop- the Philippians were frightened. Paul was writing this, writing this letter from prison. So they love Paul, they know Paul, they've worked with Paul. It's probably a decade later, and he's writing this letter, and and he's in prison. And now, they're also experiencing persecution, and and they might be thrown in prison. You know, I get nervous sending my kids to school. Like, I got a daughter who's getting married, I got a son who's going to be moving out probably at the end of this year. Like, I'm just nervous about that. But like, imagine if it was true in our country that, you know, okay, you're ready. I hope you don't get arrested for being a Christian get out there. Like, they are experiencing deep persecution. And Paul is saying, take hope in this, take heart in this. As you find your center, as you find your reputation and who Jesus is, know this, you don't have to be frightened. In fact, those who try to destroy you won't be able to because he is the king of all things, king of creation. They'll be destroyed. And this is your promise, that you will be saved and that by God. Not because Pastor Brad said so, not because of some of their affiliation or power or whatever it is, but you will be saved and that by God. As someone who finds their identity in Jesus as their king, in Jesus as their savior, he wants you to have this promise also that ultimately you will be saved. Whether it's health problems, ultimately God's going to resurrect us. Or if it's money issues, look, the Lord has a cattle on a thousand hills. We pray for his provision, and yet we also read here that though we're granted faith, sometimes we enter into suffering, and we may have questions we struggle to even answer. This is where we come back to as square one. You will be saved, and that by God. That God's grace for us is sufficient and gives us courage even in moments where we may struggle to find it at all. Where do you derive your courage from? Sometimes we derive it in money. Sometimes we derive it in intellect. You know, you ever feel really inadequate when you're having an argument with somebody and they point out something very foolish that you're thinking and you're like, oh, you're totally right and I'm completely wrong. This happens with me and Kyle a lot because he's very intelligent. But we have discussions, you know, like you ever feel like your intellect gives you an edge over the value of people or your money or your power? Where are we meant to derive our courage? We are meant to derive our courage from this promise that is ours. You will be saved and that by God. Um, Paul goes on to say in verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So this is kind of the same idea. Paul's in prison. They're now fearful of persecution and they're trying to figure out where they're going to derive their courage from. Where's their real identity? Paul says, yes, you're Philippians. There's a take heart in that. But you are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God, and your king cares for you and watches over you. That's who you are. Take courage from that and know that when your faith struggles, that the only reason you have faith is for this reason. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer with him. You know, Paul, again, is inviting us into this place of finding, thriving, now, where do you find hope? Where do you take heart? 
Where is your identity first and foremost? Um, as you think about calling in a disciple, I feel like if, if, if you were to Google what does it mean to be a disciple, there would be a lot of things that would come up on the internet. Everybody would have tons of opinions. It may be for the church or not. Like, where do we really derive who we are? This is it. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Take hope in this. The God who makes a promise to you that you will be saved and this by Him approaches you now with this offering of being at, great, being at peace with Him and experiencing His grace leading to a life of thriving. You know, it's kind of like if you walk up to your refrigerator. You ever walk up to your refrigerator, open it up, and you're hungry, and you're thinking, there's a plastic box. I don't even care what's in it. I'm just going to eat it. Now, if you say yes, you just haven't done it before, okay? Because usually you want to open that baby up and you want to see, has that been in there for four hours or four days or several weeks, you know, or whatever it is. Like, you don't just open it and eat it. You've got to smell it. You've got to understand what that leftover is. God is inviting you not to just test out every single thing in the world. He's actually saying, look, this is life for you. This is where you will find hope, is in the faith that I give to you. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, says this about the idea of faith. Like, what is a faith that can save us? What does it really mean to have a substantial faith in Christ? It says this, the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone. You hear that? The principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone. What do you rest on? Is it trustworthy? You know, what do you look to for identity and hope? Is it actually able to give you what it promises? God offers us grace sufficient for us, the ability to call out to Him. And, you know, maybe there's times where you feel like you're not safe. Call out to your God and say, you said you will save me. You will be gracious to me. I need your promises. Offer me relief. Now, I remember when my kids were young, I would come home sometimes, usually around something we called the witching hour, around 5.30 or 6.00. And what would happen is, is um, and this didn't happen a lot, but every now and then Jamie would just say, I I'm tapping out, I need you to feed the kids and clean them and put them to bed. And I wish I could tell you that every time I went, yes, dear, 100%, I got you. I usually didn't, but sometimes I did. Um, because, you know, we're, we're meant to offer relief. Like she needed to be able to say, okay, I need rest here. You know, where do you need rest God is inviting you into this calling that leads to thriving. It leads to experiencing His grace and His peace and the certainty of it. You know, you can't just will yourself into being better. You know, sometimes you're in the middle of suffering. You say, God, why am I suffering? Paul says something interesting here. It's not been granted to you, on be for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. And I kind of hear that, and I was talking to a friend about this, I kind of hear that and go, I'm so glad that he grants me like the ability to believe. That, that you know, I accept his grace, and that's awesome. But then this like next part, but also to suffer for him. And I'm like, I'm really not interested in that. Like, and I don't think the scriptures are calling us to look for places to suffer. Like, where can I suffer? I think what Paul's doing here in part is saying, listen, in the midst of your suffering, know that there's not one more powerful than a God who wants to save you who's over you. Know that your suffering will not just be in vain and that no one will notice. The God of heaven and earth sees and offers you grace and peace even in the midst of suffering, even there. 
when you know Paul here is in prison to say, I am with you and there's more. I'm bringing my promises to pass. You know, where, where do you, when you have to dig deep, where do you dig to find strength? You know, I was recently, I watched this series, and I don't really, it's not, I don't know, it's okay, but the whole series is about this WeWork. Did you ever hear about WeWork? You know, it was this, this company that basically does shared office space, and, you know, they, they wanted to take over the world, and it was like this whole, like, thing. Um, but throughout the series, the husband and the wife, when they face these, like, insurmountable obstacles, this is what they come back to. Just manifest it. Like, just will it into existence. And I'm watching that going, wow, that's like naive at best and like fraudulent and horrible at worst. You can't just will yourself out of much. Try it. Try to will yourself into the air, you know. Try to, try to get that news from the doctor and just will it out of existence. Like, that, that's not real. But there are so many things in our world that call out and say, hey, if you'll just do this, if you'll just believe this, if you'll just trust this, like your answer is in your career. You're, you'll finally be happy in retirement. Like just get your kids out of the house. Like that, there's no contentment really found there. There's actually a place where we can find God's grace and his peace, and it's here in the disciples' calling. Where is your ultimate hope? Okay, so if that's our calling, if God's calling us to that, then what's the secret of actually doing it? If the answer is not just manifest, right, just manifest these things, like what's the disciples' secret? You ready? So if you only want to listen to this part, here it is. Here's the disciples' secret. It's Christ's humility. That's the secret. And here's why it's a secret. Because it's kind of counterintuitive. Do you understand Jesus is a servant king? That Jesus, who is worshipped by angels, comes down to earth to live among us so that we can know what God is like? Do you want to know what God's like? Read, read the Gospels. Learn about who Jesus is. You want to know how he would respond to the outcast and the unlovable and the sick? What does he do? What Jesus does is he gives pictures of his coming kingdom. Why does Jesus heal the sick and give them life? They have to die again. Like it's not a cruel joke. What Jesus is doing is giving them a picture of what's going to happen when he fully reigns and returns. Well, why does Jesus love those that all the religious folks considered an outcast? Because he made them and loves them and is inviting them into redemption. There's this invitation, this secret for us to see, if we really want to understand the heart of God, to see the incredible humility that is expressed in Christ Jesus, his son, and the life that it brings. You know, he actually dissolves our humiliation with his humbleness with us. He's the king of heaven and earth, and yet he comes to serve us. I saw a wonderful example of this, and then I want to talk about the fruit here in chapter 2, but Next week, we'll really get into more of that. If you read uh, verses 5 and following, there's a lot there about who Jesus is and what it means to know him, and we're going to talk about that. But let me kind of just sum up this portion with this. There was this video that my wife sent me, and she said, she's, you know, sent me this little video, and it had little teary eyes like she was crying, and I was like, oh, great. Like, I, you know, what is this going to be? And, you, and if you can just imagine for a moment, there are these two children, they're playing rugby, and they're off on the side of the, what do you call a rugby field? I know y'all know I'm, I'm ignorant, I forget, but they're off on the side of the field, and there's a tall boy, and there's a small boy, and there's a coach there, and the tall boy is crying, and the coach, you know, he offers his words of wisdom, and God bless him, I know what it's like to be a dad coach, I was horrible at it, but he, he stood there, and he goes, uh, you don't have to tackle, and, and it just, it misses, it misses the kid who's crying, who's so upset, it means nothing to him, and then this little boy, the smaller boy, walks up to him and says, Bob, Bob, look at me, listen to me. 
look at me. And he's just heaving in tears. And he's like, Bob, no, listen, listen. You are brilliant. You are a great rugby player. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter how short you are. It doesn't matter what they say. Look, you're a great rugby player. You're my teammate. Let's go. And he puts his arm around him. These kids are like 8 to 12 or something. And I'm like, I want this guy to rule the world, right? And he puts his arm around him, and he walks his buddy back on the field. And the reason it's so beautiful is because his, that boy's humiliation was completely dissolved by the love of this little guy. He entered into his humiliation. I mean, think about, think about boys when they're like 12 years old, 10 years old, and they're all on the rugby field, and one of them gets hurt tackling or something. He's off on the side crying. Just think about, I mean, I probably would have been like, you know, whatever. This kid runs over there and says, no, 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 no. You are not only valuable because you're able to tackle. You're valuable because you're a teammate, and I got you. Let's go. You understand Jesus meets you this morning and he brings you something. Listen to these beautiful things that he brings to you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you, if your faith is in Jesus, it's not a question of like, to what degree? You are a child of the King. You are united to Christ. If you have any comfort from his love, and Paul's not saying if you happen to access comfort that's yours. No, he's saying this is, this is who you are. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. And this idea of encouragement, to think about the word, to bring courage with for the sake of another. Being united in Christ means we get Christ's courage, we get to experience it, and we get to express it towards each other. We have comfort from His love. It's not a baseless comfort. You know, God loves us, and He cares for us, and Christ died for us, and it secures our privileges as children of God. It's secured. It's done. We're His. This sharing in the Spirit, this is a mysterious reality. It's very difficult, difficult for us to comprehend, but the Holy Spirit is here right now. In you, uniting us in Christ. That's what God has for us. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, the second half. Tenderness and compassion. This is the aroma of the people of God. A tender people. A compassionate people. Why? Because that's how Christ is for us. He's compassionate. He's tender. And what does God do with all the fruit when this begins to happen in our midst? What does He do? He says, Paul writes this, Make my joy complete. Let's see the beauty of what God's doing among you, among you, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. We are a people centered on the reality of God's love for us in Jesus. What's the key to getting there? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. It is hard to misunderstand what Paul is saying there. Jesus' answer to the greatest commandment, right? Love God and love one another. If we really want to live into being disciples of God, that's that's what it's going to mean. People who understand how much God loves us so we can experience it and then express it. Experiencing a Christ-like love and then expressing it to those around us. Experiencing a Christ-like unity We are centered and unified in Christ and then expressing that in Christ-like ways, living out the reality of His grace toward us. As Christians, we 
we really believe these things, we trust these things, but there's a lot of things to believe in the world. How are we going to respond in a world that disagrees with us? One temptation is to just jump into attack mode, right? Strategically undercut the arguments of the others so that they look insufficient, uh, you know, and insignificant, and then, you know, we prove that we're the winners. That's one approach. I would not encourage you to do that. Another approach, we're going to hide. As long as we behave and we're quiet, then it'll be fine. This also does not seem to be Jesus' way. So how are we going to respond? Well, Jesus is calling us to derive our power from this. We are united to Christ. We can live out the promises He has for us. We can follow Him as His disciples because ultimately this is what God says to us no matter what suffering may be ahead. Here it is. You will be saved and that by God. So we're a people who have this access to God's incredible promises. People who are united to Christ people who are seeking to base their identity on who Jesus says we are, not on who we've proven we are or are not. And all the while, our humble servant king is here among us, caring for us and ministering to us so that we might love one another and be united. Let me end with this. I'm thinking about Mother's Day, I, um, thinking about the idea of legacy. You know, I, as I think about mothers that I've had, grandmothers, you know, I think about their legacy in my life. And Man, they just all had such a big impact on me in different ways. But I also had this science teacher who was my Sunday school teacher at church, but then she was also my science teacher in middle school. And I remember, like, I still remember her to this day. She would, like, bring me snacks in class. She would ask me about my homework in Sunday school. So a lot of worlds were colliding there. But it was really fun because I had, like, this person who was watching out for me and caring for me and guiding me, even though I really didn't want it, though I really did want it, and I wasn't really looking for it, but I very much craved it. You know, this morning, understand this. You are sitting here because God wants you to hear that His promises are yours by faith as you're united to Christ, and all by grace. You know, take great hope in being His disciple, and that, and that humility that Christ approaches you with, that you might walk in this newness that He offers. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning, we, we are grateful that we are united to you, that we are your disciples, um, that we are a people whose reputation has been secured in what you've done for us, that we're able to derive courage because you've promised that you will save us, and that even the faith we have, you tell us, it's been granted to us. You've given us access to faith. Would you increase our faith? as we take hope in your humility expressed on the cross for us, that we might be faithful, mature, equipped followers of your promises and your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.